We are on a, a sermon series called Deep Dive. And uh, we, early in the year, we asked you kind of what are your questions, your questions of faith and of practice, and uh, what, do you, what do you want us to talk about? Because sometimes when you're going just through the Gospels or, you know, Luke or 1 Thessalonians, there's some things that it doesn't talk about, and we need to talk about it. And so this was our chance to kind of hear from you. You gave us some, some things that you want to hear, and we are trying to get to some of those. Next week, it's going to be cool. We're, um, I'm having one of my friends, uh, Steve and Lisa Leonard, they're going to be coming to speak about special needs. They have a, a son with some pretty severe special needs, and they're going to come and open up the scriptures and help us to understand that as a church. But today, we're talking about something that is not talked about very often in the church. We're talking about being single in the church. All right, so let's hear it for our singles. Uh, you guys have to put up with a lot of messages about being married. <laughs> you have a lot of messages about kids. Uh, this is your time. But it's for all of us. We all need to hear this because, well, I'm not just talking just to singles. I'm talking to all of us as a church. Uh, in the United States, there are more singles than ever. Uh, this CNN had a big article saying this is the best time to be single. It's great. And so we're having uh, more singles in the church. People are getting married, oh, about six years later than they did back, you know, 50 years ago. The kind of late 20s is the average from when people are getting married. So just by nature and culture, there's more singles. But they're also in the church. We have singles that are coming into the church. We have singles that are, are young. You know, never been married. We have singles who are older who have never been married. We have people that have been married and now they're divorced. Now they're single. We have people that uh, were married. They had a long marriage, but their spouses died and now they're single. We also have same-sex attraction. People that uh, have chosen celibacy to be part of the church but are going to be celibate. We have all kinds of singles. It's not just one, one kind of package. They're all over the place. But we as a church, we need to know how can we respond? How do we love them? Let me share with you the question that was asked. Here's the question, and I think it's a very simple question, but it shows some emotion to it. The question was, why is it so hard to be single in the church? Why is it so hard to be single in the church? There's a lot there, isn't there? It's telling us that some of our singles feel like they want to be at church, they want to come, but it's hard to be here. Probably hard for a few reasons. Maybe some of the awkward questions that we ask kind of intrude into their lives. Like, so when are you going to get married? Don't you want to get married? You should get married, right? We should we throw all this. We're like, don't, I know somebody. I have somebody I work with. I have a niece. I have a nephew. We have, you know, all this kind of stuff. We, we intrude in their life. All right. Back 60 years ago, 50 years ago, we needed to do that. Now they have dating apps. They, I guarantee you our singles would much rather use uh, their apps than your Facebook feed. Like, don't you like him? He's attractive, you know. But we, we mean well, but we are intrusive. Uh, another area that maybe we make it hard is because subconsciously, you know, we elevate marriage to the highest level. Yes, the church is a family. Yeah, we're all families, but even in families, there's a place for our singles. But we have elevated marriage like that is, that's, you've kind of made it when you get married, and then you certainly made it when you have kids. But that is not the intention. I think that's more just kind of the American dream, American culture. But I think as a church, we need to address the situation. We need to kind of be aware of how we're coming off, and that 
some of us, we have no idea that we're making it hard for our singles to be a part of our church. We got to address that. So today, that's my goal. We're going to look, and, and there's not a lot of passages in the, in the Bible. Jesus talks about it. There's a little section that he talks about. And then Paul talks about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll spend most of our time there. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's all kind of mixed and mingled. But just to give you a, a quick context, Paul has been writing to this church in Corinth. And they have, they're, they're kind of a messed up church. Out of all the churches, they are kind of one of the messed up. But he gets to chapter 7. He says, okay, and now to your questions. Let me start answering this. And the first answer, the kind of the first question that he unpacks is this one about being married and about being single and all that. It would have been nice if Paul had the etiquette to kind of say, uh, here's your question and here's my answer. You know, like, you know when, like in the congregational meeting, someone will ask a question and there'll always be someone like, uh, can you please repeat the question so we know? What's being asked? It would have been nice if Paul did that, but he doesn't. And so we kind of don't know exactly what the question is. But based on that passage, here's kind of the, the basics. Here's what's going on. There's married people that want to be single, and there's single people that want to be married. Okay? That's the basics. And isn't that just like life? Right? We always like the grass is always greener. You know, single people are like, oh, if I just got, were married, I wouldn't be lonely. And then there's married people who are like, I'm so lonely, you know, trapped in this marriage. And so there's, this is kind of the thing that's going on. There's probably some others that are being real spiritual, kind of saying, we're married, but, you know, if we want to need, need to be more holy, should we not have any sexual relationships in our marriage just so we can be more focused? And, you know, there's always that person that's trying to be super holy, but this is kind of the context for what we find ourselves in. But really, what it is, is, is people back then were confused on this, and we are confused. How does this all fit? But let us take some time to look at this, this, this issue. Let us hopefully come from here being more of a welcoming place for our singles. You know, we have a better understanding of what God has called them to and I hope for the married in here that you'll have a better idea and perspective on what God has called you to as well, okay? So marriage is great. I'm not downplaying that, but so is singleness. I want to put, kind of put those uh, up on, e, on, on a level ground, right? We don't want to be a church that's conforming someone to our ideals, but instead, here's what we want. We want to be devoted to God and to serve the body of Christ regardless of of your marital status, okay? Being devoted to Christ and serving him. That's the goal for all of us, okay? Let's, uh, our service is a little bit shortened with the congregational meeting, so let's just jump right into it. If you have your Bibles, you can, or your device, open up to uh, Luke chapter 20. And uh, this is the passage that Jesus talks about. And as Jesus, it's kind of a, wasn't like the main topic that he's being asked, but he turns it into that. But what, his, his, uh, what, what he's getting at is from a human perspective, he's changing what marriage and what eternity look like. From a human perspective, he's saying that there's no marriage, there's no weddings in heaven. Here's what's happening. He has some uh, people that are trying to make Jesus look stupid, ridiculous. They're the Sadducees. And uh, they come up to Jesus with a question, and their question is absurd. All right, their question is this. So there's a lady who's married to a man, and this man, he's the oldest of seven brothers, 
and uh, they're married, but before they can have children, he dies. The law of Moses says to the, the second brother should marry that wife, and they do that, and they keep doing that, but the men keep dying, and the lady keeps living with no kids. Crazy. Like, man, you got to wonder how these guys die so easy, and she is like the cursed bride, and they keep marrying her. But regardless, that's a situation. And so then the question that they throw out to Jesus is saying, okay, so in eternity, in heaven, which one is she married to? Who's she married to? That's all, I mean, probably we've thought about that question too. Kind of like when people get married, you know, they're young and in love and they get married and they're like, we're going to be married forever. Like even in heaven, we're going to live together, we're going to be married and we think about that. It does complicate it. If someone gets divorced and, you know, then they remarry and maybe what happens when they're all in heaven and then that person spouses and, you know, it can get confusing. And so maybe we've thought about it, but here's what Jesus says. He doesn't, doesn't kind of buy there or fall into the trap. Here's what he says in, in, in Luke 20, verse 34. He says, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. That's what you do right now. You marry, you're given and married, all that. That's all you can think about. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead, so in heaven, those who are in heaven will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they'll be like angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. Perhaps some of you have read that, and you're like, yeah, I get it. But for them, this is mind-blowing. This is crazy. Because they're expecting, I mean, the whole Old Testament is built on this family foundation, right? And, and singleness is not really a part of the Old Testament. Sure, there's some people here and there, but for the most part, it's hard to find a celibate person in the Old Testament. And I think what they're looking for is Jesus to kind of create this, like, super marriage in heaven. Like, for him to say, she's married to all of them in heaven. You know, some, like, expanding on it. But instead, he introduces this whole other concept of singleness. And saying, yeah, in heaven, you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to, we're not going to have weddings every Saturday in heaven. This is not what it's about. They're not going to be having kind of uh, apps on dating apps in heaven. That's not what we're going to be doing there. You're not going to be given in marriage. All right? So he kind of shuts that down, but he opens this whole idea of being single and being devoted to God, having a primary focus that's something other than a marriage or a wedding. Really, that's how Jesus lived, didn't he? He wasn't married. We have this idea here in America and probably other places too, that it's like the, the, the default in life is to be married. I mean, that's just, that's the standard. But the reality is we are born single. And for many people, you will die single. I mean, it's possible to have a, a, a marriage that lasts for 40 years and still have the majority of your life being single. We gotta understand this. We got to understand that there, there's something beautiful in being single. I've heard people say that, you know, marriage is the best way to prepare you for heaven. <laughs> I think, I don't know, that's not in the Bible, right? I don't know who says that, and I, maybe I can understand a little bit what they're talking about, but I want to ch almost change that. I think singleness is the best way to prepare us for heaven. 
I mean, even right now. So, can we learn something from our singles right now? Can we learn something from them? Do they have something to teach us? I absolutely think they do. So Jesus kind of changes that mentality. If Jesus is changing that mentality, I think we need to change that as well. Now to, to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll spend the rest of our time there. Because now Paul is going to kind of share his perspective. And I'll just give you, a, you know, right out the gate, just so you know, Paul is biased. He's biased towards his perspective. And Paul, we, he might have been married before. We don't know anything about that. It's kind of rare for a rabbi to be, or a person to be a rabbi and not be married. But when we meet Paul, he's single. And from his perspective, he really thinks there's something about being single that's really special and unique. And so he's going to give his, his opinion here. But the first thing I want us to see when we look at this passage is that singleness is a gift from God. In the same way, marriage is a gift from God. They are both good and beautiful gifts. He says in verse 6, he says, say, he says, I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. The emphasis here is on gift. It's the same word that he's going to use when he talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, a little bit later, and in Romans 12. And spiritual gifts are gifts that are to be used to build up the body of Christ. They are to be used for the kingdom of God. So Paul, when he talks about singleness and when he talks about marriage, he's saying, you know this is a gift, a gift that is to be cherished, a gift that is to be used to build up the kingdom of God. That's pretty important. Have we thought about it that way? Have we approached our singles and just saying, hey, I don't know how long you're going to have this gift or whatever, but right now this gift is, is a beautiful, cherished gift from God, and we want to encourage you in it. We want to help you in it. In the same way for our marriage, those who are married, to be able to use this gift for the glory of God. I don't think we, we look at it that way. Instead, we kind of think like the greater gift still is marriage. Imagine it this way. So you have uh, someone whose spiritual gift is service. They love being behind the scenes. They love making food for uh, those who are, are sick or just had babies or whatever. They love uh, cleaning up things and organizing. They like administration. They have this gift of service. How crazy would it be if we come to them and just say, your, your gift is no good? What you really need is the gift of preaching. I mean, that's, that's the best gift, or evangelism. Those are the higher gifts. So leave all that other stuff behind and, and become a preacher. How, I mean, how crazy would that be, right? We would never do that. Well, that's kind of what we do when we invite a single over for dinner, and they think, oh, I'm just getting, they're getting to know me, and then we ask, start asking those awkward questions. We're telling me your gift is not as good as mine. Take my gift. But Paul doesn't say that. He says these gifts are good. They come from the Lord. They're beautiful things. Cherish them. I think one of the things that he has in his mind here is just the, the practical reality. 
that when you are single, you have more time available to use for different things. Just, and this isn't from the Bible. This is just sociology. They say that, you know, if someone is awake for 18 hours, right, that's probably normal, right? People get about six hours of sleep, so, you know, give or take, whatever. Just to use that, you have nine hours at work, you have about nine hours at home, you know, and you, you have things to do, I get it, but you have nine hours for yourself. That's when you're single. But when you're married, you still have to spend nine hours at work, but that free time gets cut in half. Now you get about four and a half hours for yourself. Still a lot of time. But they say with every dependent, whether it's a kid or a, a parent that's living with you that you're caring for, right? And this is general. But with each dependent, your time gets cut in half with each one. So when you have, if you're married and you have one child, you have about two hours and 15 minutes to yourself. You have two children. You have one hour and about seven minutes to yourself every day. Three children, you have like 33 minutes to yourself. And then you throw a dog in there. All right, you're killing yourselves, right? But you see the point. And I think most of us would say, yeah, that's about right. That's why I don't work out. That's why I don't mow the grass. You know, I hardly have time for showers. I, 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 we get it. So you can argue on the numbers. But Paul's basically saying, like, hey, I'm single. And look, at, I'm, I, can, I have this time that I can use. So I wish you were like me. It's not commanding it. It's not saying, no, the right thing is to be single. But he's just saying there is a benefit when you are single, that you have time that you can devote and you can use to building and caring for the spiritual gift that you have. You have time to build up the body of Christ. So how are you using your time? And again, if you're married, he'll say this later, it's not a sin. You, the, and it's okay. If you only have 33 minutes, that's fine. Use that 33 minutes. Put it, package them together. Put these things together so you can still serve. You don't get out of it just because you have three kids and a dog. doesn't mean you, don't, you can't serve the body of Christ. <laughs> but you have to work a little harder on how to do that. Probably push back sleep and things like that. But that's his intention here with this passage. But he keeps going. And uh, just as he continues to talk about this gift and about this focus, when he comes to verse 32 through 38, he's talking about just our main concern. He says, let everybody be concerned with pleasing Jesus. It's a concern to put Jesus first. It's a concern about focus on him. It's a concern to be devoted to Jesus. So be devoted and concerned with doing the things of the Lord, whether you're single, whether you're married. Here's what he says in verse 32. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. Free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world and how he can please his wife and his interests are divided they're divided, and that makes sense, right? He continues, and he says the same thing with a lady, right? A married woman is concerned about taking care of her home and her family and her husband and all that. Her time is divided. But then he says this in verse 35. 
says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion to the Lord. He's saying, I want you to be free from, from concern. That word concern is like the, the kind of that real the root word is like to pull apart into pieces, right? Kind of to, to make something that is whole and to separate in pieces. Here's how you think of it. Our donuts outside, right? Those have been pulled apart and cut into little pieces. They once were whole, but we, because we're cheap and we just want to give them to you for free, we cut them and have to make them go further. Sometimes we cut them in like quarters or in eighths. You know, but that's what he means. It's like when you are, when you're, when you're married, you're like that whole donut and with each kid and all that, you get pulled in, in different pieces. And Paul's like, no, you know, nobody wants to go buy a donut and get crumbs. You're like, I wanted a donut. These are crumbs. Yeah, but it's like the same amount. They weigh the same. Like, no, I don't want that. Paul's like, I want to be whole. I want to be undivided. I want to be focused on one thing. I want my devotion to be on serving the Lord, and that's it. I think Paul was thrilled that he didn't have to make dinner for a 15-year-old boy or wash clothes for a 13-year-old girl or change diapers on a one-year-old. He didn't have to worry about that. He's not saying that's bad. He's like, I'm just thrilled I don't have to do that. I wish you were like me so you could be completely focused and undivided on serving the Lord. Can you imagine if Paul was married? Like, I, I think we would have probably 10 less books in here. Because there's no way his wife is letting him go for three years at a time to go spend time in other people's houses and all that kind of stuff. It's not happening. It's like, you're not going again. Yeah, I am. The gospel is waiting. I have to. Like, your kids don't even recognize you. You got to stay, like, you understand the tension? But the church is built on these single men, these apostles who were undivided, who had one focus. So here's where it comes down to. Whether you're married or whether you're single, our focus should not be on how to get a spouse or, you know, get more time or whatever. Our focus should be, are we devoted to the Lord? Have I, am I taking this gift that I have at this point in my life, am I being devoted to the Lord? Am I focused on him? Am I, am I concentrating on pleasing him? So if you're single, you have time. You probably have some money. You, know, you could spend it on a nice wardrobe. You can get 100 pairs of shoes. You could wear a shoe once and like, I'm never wearing that one again because I'm single. I have money. I'm just take care of myself, right? I mean, you can do that. You could spend, you know, all nine hours, you know, at the gym and the spa and, and the chiropractor and, and the malls. But for you, Paul's words are, no, be devoted to Christ. You have time. You have margin. You have some space. So use it to serve the Lord. Not that you have to be nine hours at the church. Doesn't mean that we're, you know, from now on, we're only going to call singles. Hey, can you teach Sunday school? I know you can. I know you have time. <laughs> we're not going to do that. Okay. But how can you use your time to invest in the kingdom? How can you use your time to, to bring holiness to the people around you? 
But for the married, you got the same conversation. You've got work to do too. You need to have those conversations saying, I've got 33 minutes. How can I use this? How can we put our 33 minutes together to build the kingdom of Christ here at our home and at the school and in our neighborhood at the church? How can we use, how can we be fully devoted to the Lord using this gift that we have for the Lord? It's not about being single. It's not about being married. It's not about which one is better. They are both important. And we got to elevate these. And so church, as we, those, those of us that are married, when we look at singles, we, we, we cannot look down on them. We can't um, take advantage of them or whatever. We've got to care for them and nurture them. In the same way, singles, you get to nurture these families. You can care for them. We can walk alongside together because we're devoted to the Lord. I'll say one last thing here as we close out this chapter seven. And this is a word more to those who have been married but are single now. Whether your, your spouse died or ended in a divorce, Paul kind of warns you, says, just don't jump right back into the marriage. Don't just jump back and find the first person that will marry you and marry them. He says this, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. So that's important, right? He must belong to the Lord. In other words, he must have that same devotion, that same focus that you have so that you can move together in your gift. But he says this in verse 40. He says, in my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, single. She's happier if she stays as she is. Not a sin to get married. But his point is that when you have been given this extra time, use it for the Lord. Some of us think that we can only serve the Lord together. We have to be together and we can be more effective. But a single person, maybe not have, you know, a dual income, but can have dual impact in the kingdom of God. And I'm thankful for that. Thanks to the Lord that he has brought such a great gift to our church. Amen? Jesus shows what it's like to be wholly devoted to God. And he was single. Paul shows us what it's like to be fully committed to the Lord. He was single. We've got many single people that have shown us what that is. Likewise, we've had many married couples that have shown us what devotion to the Lord looks like. It doesn't matter, married or single. But what is our focus? What is our desire? How can we use what we've been given to bring glory to God's kingdom? Something to think about. Before I end, just a couple closing thoughts. One, um, as a church, I think we probably need to give an apology to our singles. We are sorry for making you feel unwelcome or making it hard to be at our church. We are sorry for having this kind of elevated married and kids or whatever and kind of acting like you're not in the club because you're not married. We are sorry for taking advantage of you, giving you those calls like, I know you're not doing anything tonight. Can you babysit my kids? You know, I'm sorry for the awkward conversations. I'm sorry for the setups that when we, you, you think you're coming over for dinner and then there's somebody else there. Oh, <laughs> funny that. I'm sorry for all of that. 
we can do better. And we will do better. We want to honor you. We want to thank you for the gift that you have given us and given the church. We want to support you in that gift. And we want to learn from you too. Because there's a lot that we need to learn together. Married or single. We are all in this together. We are all in this for the kingdom of God. Let him be our focus.